call it. Call it, yes. For what? Just call it. Welcome to episode 94 of Call It Friend, or the podcast where usually two friends watch two films decided by the flip of a coin. This week, myself, Andy J. Richie, and my co-host, Anna Katirnan, watched Louis Mal's Atlantic City and Francis Ford Coppola's One from the Heart. As always, the podcast contains spoilers for the films right from the start. Check out JustWatch.com for streaming and rental options in your region. Apologies, because there are a couple of audio issues during the episode. There's like a weird buzzing, but it goes away after about 10 seconds. You can power through. I've got faith in you. You can find us on Instagram at Call a Friend of Podcast. Drop us a line there if any feedback or recommendations. Peace. Everything dies, baby, that's a fact. Maybe everything that dies someday comes back. Put your makeup on, fix your hair, and make me. We're live as fuck, man. We are. We're face to face again. FTF. <laughs> Did that throw you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it sounds shocked. like it sounds like a way to um, I don't know for the sexy people to sell the missionary position. I'm I'm more of a I'm not a sex person. Pipe to pipe bushman myself. So, <laughs> are you a sex person, <clears throat> Lynn? No, you're not. Thank goodness. Uh, speaking of a uh, slightly obscure but you know famous in its own silos, British comedy. Have you seen um, Gareth Marenghi's releasing a book? No, but I'll read that. Yeah, yeah. Like a, a Gareth Marenghi-style book. <clears throat> you, but, like, written by who? Gareth Marenghi. I don't know who's actually writing it. I don't like things written by the character. I'd rather they... I Like, I want to know who the writer is. It was written I've in the voice encountered of the one or two things along uh, in my travels that have been good. Like, Alan Partridge's um, autobiography is, is excellent. It's very, very funny. Um, the name alone... Do you know what the name is? My Struggle or something? No, no, no. It's called um, Hi, Alan. Oh, we yeah. need to talk about Partridge. Nice. Respect. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so, yeah, we're back in the FTF mode uh, for to talk about two old-ass movies. There's a lot of that going on, old-ass movies. I think that's been most of our toss picks of late. And next Good. time around will be, I think... The same. Yeah, pretty much more of the same. <laughs> this way the podcast We're sticking exists. in the 70s and 80s, but we're just working through stuff that we haven't seen before, really. I was, I was talking to someone recently about the podcast, and they were like, do you ever talk about stuff that you've, you know, like big films? The, the, is there any big film that you haven't seen? And I was like, no, we've kind of both seen everything. Yeah, exactly. That's why we watch Blackula. <laughs> Oh, Blackula was a big bum note. We're going to have to figure out criteria for end of year list soon enough. <laughs> and it's very unlikely that I've seen anything worse than Blackula on account of the podcast this year. We'll figure it out. We'll see. Yeah, it yeah, could indeed. be one today that might be vying for the title. Oh, really? Well, we'll see. We'll oh, see we're going to disagree on something. Oh, so, dear God. Uh, speaking of which, um, enemy of the show, John Spillane, uh, very much agreed with me on Black Panther. Well... But enemies of the show, my colleagues, very much agreed with you. And what, they, that they had fun? Yeah, yeah, they enjoyed it. Okay. By the time we were going through the plot synopsis, to be fair, I feel like I sort of was maybe starting to come around to your point of view. You always do. Well, it's because you... when you go through the plot synopsis, you start going like, oh yeah, this was dog shit, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's that realization kicks in. Uh, I'll ha- I'll have particular crack, um, actually, because I haven't got it written out properly, but I'll have particular crack going through the plot synopsis of Al- Atlantic City. It's a simple enough plot synopsis, I think. 
Well, we'll see. We'll see when we get around to it. Well, actually, fuck it. Let's just start there. Atlantic City, old Louis Mal. Okay, okay. You go. What do you think? I was, I don't know, surprised is a word for it. So this film, it was nominated for the big five hmm. at the Oscars, which is, what are the big five? Oh, here we go. All right. Uh, best picture, best director, Makeup, best actor, best, best uh, visual effects, best actress, and um, best screenplay, presumably. Yeah. Yeah. Original, original screenplay. So, like, it, it's Oscar nominated. It, it lost it's all excellent. of those, unfortunately. Yeah. But, like, so I had reasonably high expectations, but there was part of me going, like, why have I never heard of this? Yeah. yeah. But it, it did exceed my expectations. Yeah. Absolutely. I thought it was absolutely no, brilliant. I thought it was great. I thought, it was, I thought, Anybody listening right now, I, it was one of the few occasions I would tell people, take pause, and if you can yeah, find a copy a, of a this... it's a good blind watch. It's really, really good. Like, wow, I mean... There's so many, like, I, I, we've had this conversation, like, going all the way back to Sorcerer, mm. which is when, which is like episode two or something, which is when you have the opportunity to see a time and a place on film. It just captures a time and a place in world history. Yes. And this one here has like the broken down. Yeah, it has that in Boardwalk city, like this, just a horrible town. <laughs> a horrible, horrible well, place. Yeah, no, which no, no. You get, you get, you get a 1950s now. movie star, like a genuine superstar. Yeah, Berlin 20th century too. superstar interacting with a setting, you know, I don't know, the likes of The Wire, basically. I Essentially. Mean, in, in yeah. part, like there's uh, his opening walk through the streets um, and multiple times in the same neighborhood you just see things being demolished and it's so real but also like Louis Mal brings real I don't know sort of French sensibilities to it um, it's a very psychological film or rather metaphorical poetic in its own way I mean the opening shot and the title the, t- the, the story of the film is it's as though it's grown out of the title it's about like aspiration and yeah. desperation and disappointment and hope nonetheless, like a very gambler sort of attitude to life. And it's all epitomized in a wonderful opening sequence where uh, Lancaster's, um, what's his chops? I forget his character's name. Uh, Steve Atlantic. Uh, yes. I haven't taken note of his stupid name. When Lurt, La- Lurt Bancaster. When Lurt Bancaster. <laughs> no, he's called Lou. Lou. When, when Lou watches... Uh, What's her jobs? Susan Sarandon. When he watches her washing herself Sally. with... Sally. She's with, called Sally. When he watches Sally washing herself with lemons at the kitchen sink, there's just something like... I don't know. It just... It's it captures zesty. exactly what the film's about, uh, which is just like... I don't know. There's never say die American sensibility, but also disgusting des- desperation depending on how you look at if it. If you live long enough, you'll see someone lathering their, their boobies with... Uh, Lemon water yes, uh, in indeed. a sink. Why would you wash your... Okay. I don't know. If any, if any ladies ever listen to this podcast, why would you wash your breasts at a sink next to a window by just taking your top off and washing that part of your body and then putting your top... Like, I don't know, Andy. Why do you on? wash your breasts out on the balcony? Well, that, I'm looking for ladies' opinions. <laughs> why, why I do it's got nothing... That's of no relevance. <laughs> I have my own reasons, but I just want to compare. Yeah. I mean, to give it a bit of a French old plot point, I suppose, is the answer there. Yeah, well, I I mean, I get the reason. They're like, Susan Sarandon's like 35 or something, and she was dating Louis Mal, and Louis Mal was like, well, I probably want to show the world this. 
yeah, yeah, aspect yeah. of her character. To be fair, uh, I'll say this: like she's n- movie star, good looking in this. She's a very, very good looking lady. It's um, kind of, it's mental to think that she she was married to Chris Sarandon, like yeah, random actor guy, and then they got divorced in like nineteen seventy nine, and she's like, oh, I'll just take that. I'll take your surname for the rest of my career. Thanks yeah, very yeah, much. And be huge. Because her real, na- her real name is uh, Susan Shitehawk. <laughs> a lot of people don't know that. That's uh, her yeah, actual I real name. I thought it was name. Susan Shithouse. <laughs> it could be. It's actually um, do you, Susan Do you know the Tom- joke I'm referencing What's there? that? Susan Shithouse? No, it's um, Robin Hood Men in Tights, oh, where yeah. the, the old hag, her name is Latrine. Well, whatever the- happened, we sh- we're supposed to get the writer of Robin Hood Men in Tights on the show. I have, still haven't got around oh, to messaging him. We must do that. Him. We must do that. We'll we're get him on board, so we'll get him on the show. It's my. It's probably my favorite line in the in that oh, whole damn. film. I wanted to ask him if he if he wrote it or not as well. Her name's Susan Tomlin, which if any, I mean, shit house is not that far. You didn't let me finish the off. joke. Well, go ahead. I, uh, because I, have to, I just assume everyone already knows it. Is Robin Hood Men in Tights? Go well, ahead. it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> wait, wait. So you changed it to Latrine? Yeah, it used to be shit house. It's a classic. It's a great joke. It's a classic bit. See, that's the thing. It's so well known. I've got that tattooed on my breasts. So I just assume everyone would already know that one. Well, I'm going to need to hang out uh, outside your balcony <laughs> yeah, every morning in order to verify that fact. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the plot then? Of we Atlantic go through the plot? City. Yeah, let's get fired into that. All right. So we got Lou living across from Sally. Sally. Um, Lou's just a just a gangster, I suppose. But he's an old school gangster. Um, he claims to have hung around with Al Capone. Yeah, yeah. Some other guy. Uh, a few other fellas, yeah, yeah. Um, Old uh, Nucky Thompson off of Boardwalk Empire. That's maybe. right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nucky Johnson uh, was mm. the that character's the real, real name. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he lives across the way, by way of window anyway, uh, from Susan Sarandon Sally, who uh, wants to be a blackjack dealer and works in the fish bar in the casino at the time and washes herself in the nudie with lemons every night. Nice. She's quite aspirational uh, in that sense. She wants to get out of there and go to Monaco. Then the the <laughs> evil hippies arrive in town. It's 1980 or 90. Yeah, I mean, like, aren't these guys dead yet? Not these evil hippies. This guy, I mean, fucking. So there's her. This is the worst connection ever. So Susan Sarandon's character, Sally, her estranged husband, Dave is hanging out with her pregnant sister, Chrissy. Yeah. What a horrible And they arrive into town and walk up to the fish buffet, just be like, hey, it's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you, you were just arriving here and they want to stay with her. Uh, it's bad news all around. It's- but we also, previously, we've seen them in Philadelphia lifting, like, a brick of coke out of a... They, like, rip off a drug deal, basically, where a guy, like, leaves drugs in a phone booth and they just take it. Yeah, they're like uh, they're like the evil hippies from you know the Smashing Pumpkins video. Try, try, try. <laughs> I don't remember that. Oh, it's a most disturbing. I remember music the song. Video. I tried to hold on. Yeah, it's good. Anyway, um, yeah, like just immediately, it's like not what I'm expecting from the film. They drive into Atlantic City. I think the car breaks down. Along it feel, the way, that feels like that. a bit like sort like the sort again going back to Sorcerer of just like the time and a place thing. The whole part of Sorcerer where Roy Scheider's 
doing his cop stuff, and and that's in Philadelphia as well. I think like gangster stuff, or is it Boston? Yeah, but still, there's that kind of shit going on. That's right, he's not a cop. Yeah, he's very much an Irish gangster. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, but then they arrive in, um, and they're like, "Yeah, can we stay with you for a bit?" And she's like, "No," but they're staying there anyway. Um, Fucking Chrissy is totally bought up in his bullshit. She's saying the most horrific things. And I can only say they're horrific from a man uh, with a daughter and, uh, you know, hoping to have a pregnant wife again you know, at some point in the near future. She's just, she's just like, no, getting high is good for your baby and all of this stuff. It's like what is the, what's most the disturbing biggest, stuff. What's the biggest hippie shit that she comes out with? I can't, I know that she says something about like crystals or something. There's a it's little bit of a crystal in that. In that Whole in heap that. of bollocks anyway, but he's clearly just evil. Like he's just a, a piece of shit, um, and he figures a way to he finds a way to uh, like an all night poker game where he can sell this coke, but he ne- he ends up using Lou, but he and he also goes through like a local gangster to do it, which yeah. is a terrible mistake. Yeah, because that that gangster guy is like, uh, where did you get the coke? You didn't steal it out of a phone box in Philadelphia, did you? And he's like, how did you how did you guess? I can't remember that. Is that actually a bit? Yeah, it? yeah, yeah. He says like, "What well, you got this from Philly, right?" And he's like, "What? How do you? What? How do you know?" So like, he the that that local gangster guy who owns that club or whatever is the one who got back in touch, who got in touch who with got, the yeah, mobsters. Who got in touch with the boys? Yeah, which you know. Oh, that got past me a little. I don't it, like. It's nice that they put that detail in because in another movie the guys would have just arrived inexplicably nah, but yeah. it's, it really is that simple I suppose yeah and also just... co- mo- co- common criminals are that stupid as David Simon says in, in the book yeah. and this guy Dave is a fucking arsehole yeah yeah I mean he dies and there's no love lost anyway Lou takes to selling the coke to this all night poker game for Dave and then all of a sudden he's got money for clothes and stuff and he immediately gets to spending it and you get this sense that Lou feels a bit let down by life, and this is his last roll of the dice. Yeah. There's this wonderful part where he's watching Sarandon Sally wash her boobies uh, at the sink, and we see her boobies where we hadn't before. So Louis Mal is guiding us to get an erection alongside Burt Lancaster's character, because we hadn't seen them before. We see them this time. He gets his erection and goes downstairs and rides <laughs> the woman... <laughs> Who he's essentially I forgot, a slave to. I forgot to. about that. That's really old. That's an old school thing. You don't see that much it's anymore. It's fantastic. An old man who gets sexually aroused by a younger woman and then goes and uses that he Uses on. the boner on an older <laughs> on, lady. On, on the old lady. What's he's, gotten into you, Lou? <laughs> he's, a cared, he's looking after this old lady, Grace, because he used to work for her husband, Kuki. Yeah. He was some gangster guy. So And Lou was basically like a dog's body type, and he's... Now he's looking after this kind of awful old lady. He doesn't need to be. No. It's just a a sense of lonely obligation. Um, But every so often when he's, you know, they like to engage in other activities. And that definitely happens right there where he sees sees Sally get the lads out. Anyway, he immediately uh, starts to offer Sally, like, help and consolence here and there. Consolation, rather, is the word. And uh, he learns about her life a little bit. And they have sex. They end up having sex. Oh, yeah, but this You've only... you skipped ha- out the part where, yeah, after... Yes, that's right, because the gangsters from Philly arrive and chase down and murder Dave. In a in a very impressive scene on yes, one of those, like, car cool. elevator things. Yeah, right? 
I mean, that's just good cool. on them for using that. That's cool as yeah. fuck. It's one of those things where the cars go up and down and round, like for parking. I'll tell you, I, I watched one other anymore. Louis Mal movie this uh, week, um, one I'd seen before, and I've seen a couple of his other movies before. And then just in combination with that scene in particular and one other scene near the end of this film, I was just left thinking, wow, he's quite a filmmaker. There's loads of craft and theme and everything in it. I mean, he's a really, really good filmmaker. He has a lot of highly rated films going back to like... Maybe even as far as the 50s. Yeah, yeah, I don't think. know. Yeah. The, the, like, uh, the, the one I rewatched this week was uh, Elevator to the Gallows, which mm. is just terrific. It's like just because he happened at the same time as the French New Wave, people confuse him with it, but he doesn't mess around with all the shoddy jump cutting and stuff like that. He's a clean, pristine filmmaker. He ended up living in the US. That's right, like, yeah, point, died there. Like, yeah, yeah, to the rest of his life. Yeah, yeah, he did. had a horrible battle with lymphoma, I read. Anyway... So Dave dies, Sally has to take care of all this shit, but Lou just takes care of it for her, mainly because he's watched her washing herself with lemons and he's you know got an old man boner. She sh- takes him to this house she's going to move in with all these wannabe blackjack dealers. I'm sure Clive Owen's character from Croupier is in there somewhere. And uh, he a, goes, a I, I watch you. You know I watch you, don't you? And well, he understood that was his moment to uh, pounce. Yeah, yeah. And he was right. Yeah. It paid off. She turns around and starts undoing her top. Yeah, yeah. It would not, like, even someone, I'll put it like this. Burt Lancaster didn't age like <laughs> Paul Newman. He looks like a dirty old dude. Do you, uh, do you know how old he was at, at filming? At time no, filming? no, I don't. He was about 64. Wow, fuckers he aged about, worse back then. He looks about 110. Yeah. He looked old as uh, old as all hell. Yeah, he was in, like, his mid-60s. Wow. I mean, that's a lifetime of booze and fags, surely. Yeah. Yeah. He's obviously had it. There's a, if you go to his uh, Wikipedia, his imi- the image of him is from 1947. Right. He, he looks amazing. 34. Yeah. He looks, like a, he looks like he's in a boy band. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I mean, it's just that cop. old. Yeah. He had a fun time. Hollywood drugs and drink and abuse and kind of being a dick. We'll get to it. But apparently, right. Lancaster was a bit of a dick. Fair play. Anyway. So yeah, he gets to make love to uh, Sally. He's he's, he's delighted with that. Uh, he's escorting her back, and uh, the goons after Dave's drug money uh, come and beat her up in a manner that reminded me of when Cuddy slaps the girl in the wire. They're I thought so that was quite funny how he's just standing there. Yeah, like she's he, he bitches out. He, like yeah, he puts totally. his head down, like he's not even looking. Like. I don't, I don't know what this but is. That, but I mean, it's interesting because then you do kind of get, you, that's the first time you get the sense of, oh, he's kind of made up his own story, but it's not yeah, true. Yeah, he's full of shit. Yeah, yeah. His whole point, I mean, he's talking the whole time about, because he's telling, he told Dave earlier, he's like, yeah, I've killed people. Sometimes you have to kill people, et cetera, et cetera. But then you find out that he's just talking absolute balls. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then soon enough afterwards, uh, they get upstairs and um, yeah, Grace is there with Chrissy. Uh, Chrissy, who had been left looking after her, and the apartment's been overturned, and um, Grace is screaming, "What have you gotten into, Luke? What have you gotten into? All this stuff!" And she starts yelling, "This! <laughs> you know what his nickname was back in the day? Numb nuts. That's what everybody <laughs> numb nuts. She's there. It's terrible for poor old Lou. And uh, uh, Sally is there with Chrissy and Grace, and." Um, 
at this point, Sally has figured out that Lou... Uh, yeah, that it's is, a bit of a shy bag. Yeah, he'd sold the dope. She saw some residue in the kitchen. And then she asks Chrissy, where'd you get the dope from? Chrissy says, uh, Philadelphia. And uh, Grace's contribution is, Philadelphia is a very nice place. It's very, <laughs> it's, it's well scripted that, but like, <laughs> even if she overacts a, l- a little bit, that lady, I like that, the fact that she's just got vacuous remarks to contribute. Anyway, um... So Lou, Lou basically <laughs> runs away. Yeah. He's packed up while uh, while Grace has gone back. No, sorry, while Sally's gone back into her apartment and finds out it's been it finds out it's been ransacked. Lou's like packing a bag. And yeah, he knows the writings on the wall. Got like a, yeah, a bunch yeah. of cash, got about like ten grand or something. But Sally's smart. Well, because he's gone down to the bus station, but then she follows him down there. And the funniest line in the movie uh, happens. And there are some funny lines in this movie. This movie made me laugh on a number of occasions. And they're all definitely meant to be funny. And not, and by the way, so she convinces the driver that she's his daughter and he's senile and on the bus and he's got to go on and get her off. And as he's getting her off, he turns around to, and says to the driver, I made love to this woman <laughs> earlier today. <laughs> it, does, it does feel a bit kind of... <laughs> anchor man or something yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but basically because he's like an old sausage he gets caught up in the whole notion of him being like he looks like a senile granddad when he yeah, says yeah, I made yeah. love to this woman <laughs> earlier today it's very funny but she's like you motherfucker anyway but then they go down the street and then the two thugs mm. catch up with them and he but shoots then them old both. Lou has a gun in his pocket and he guns them down and he's just fucking ecstatic. Like it's the best yeah, thing yeah, he's yeah. ever done. He's I finally killed someone. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is he's finally graduated from being numbnuts to like you know a guy who can yeah he got his roll of the dice and yeah, it paid off. It. And that he, like uh, he has a good he. This is a great time in his life. He has sex with Susan Sarandon. He kills two men. He has sex with the other lady, Grace, the old lady. While thinking about Susan Sarandon. Yes. And then just gets a, it like soon just after Just a that, great yeah. time. Just He's a having great, a great time. Lou is time. having a great time. That's fair. He probably tried a little bit of the coke on route as well. I mean. Oh, guaranteed. Then anyway. Um, Those two again jump in the car, the gangster's car. They yeah. steal it. I, it's unclear as to whether they make love a second time. I don't think so. You think so? And no, the because so. they go and they check into like a sort of seedy motel. Mm. I I don't know. I reckon they might. You know, spirits are high. So they're just uh, drinking some champagne. Maybe he brought he bought some lemons and was like, "Hey, <laughs> don't you need a really wash help. there? Smell yeah. like fish a bit to me." And uh, yeah, then she wakes up in the morning and. She robs him. He, but but he, he's fully aware that she needs to take that money and go away. Yeah. Like, he's not he's not like, oh, you should stay with me. He, well, he asks her a bit to come to Miami with him, but we but know it's not But he understands. I, there's another... I can't remember exactly what the point is, but, I, but at one point he understands. He's like, no, you should obviously go away. Take a bunch of cash and leave. And then he, when she's like, she says she's going to go out and get breakfast and he's like, remember to ditch the car. Yeah, but he sees her taking the money. No, I know, but well. there, I know, but there's like another, I can't remember when, but there's a point where he's, he basically says something that's like, you need to go and live your life. Like, yeah, you don't, yeah, need, yeah, to yeah, be, yeah, you don't yeah. need to be hanging out. It's nice me. as well. It's a nice moment. And to be fair, everyone gets a win in this. Yeah. He's like surprisingly like positive ending. He, it reminded me of, which I'm sure Quentin Tarantino was very much aware, it's the, it's like the ending of Jackie Brown, where Max Cherry just is happy for having been able to help Jackie Brown out. I mean, Lou got to do more. He got to have sex with Susan Sarandon. That's even better. Max I thought those two end up together at the end. 
Of Jackie Brown. Of Jackie Brown. I haven't seen no, it for a no, long no, no. time. No, no, no. She kind of says, why don't you come with me, Max? But he says, he no, and he just lets He's her like, go. I need to go to Albuquerque and open a carpet cleaning business. Exactly. That's exactly what he says. And then that's pretty much the end. So they basically... No, so, well, uh, no, because Lou goes back. Yeah, Lou goes back and, and she's uh, like, hey, I killed Grace those, I killed those ladies. And then Grace sells off the end of the coke for him. Hmm. And then they go for a night in the town. And then Susan Sarandon, Sally is uh, driving off to the airport. She's going to go to Monaco. And to be a croupier. Yeah, that's going to work out, I'm sure. That'll be fine. Yeah, you'll have a happy life. 1980, good times. I thought this film was great. What a fucking fantastic, pleasant surprise. As I said, I think Louis Mel, uh, Mal is a hell of a craftsman. Um, I think the story is super engaging. I think one of the best choices oh, the was he hired Michel Legrand to do the soundtrack and he wrote a soundtrack and then Louis Mal was like, actually, we're not going to use it. So huh. this film has no theme music. All the music that's played is just people like playing records or it's in a club. So it's very that similar the, to The Wire. Yeah, yeah, that is a good decision. And further to that, Michel Legrand, his niece is uh, Victoria Legrand. Do you know who that is? The lead singer of Beach House. I really like Beach House. Yeah, well... Their album from this year was excellent. Or was it this year? I don't well, know. Their most recent album was very good. Her uncle uh, got shot down and his music wasn't used on uh, this film. Oh, I bet he ranted about that at many a Christmas party. Yeah. Well, she wasn't even born when this film came out. Which was in 1980. <laughs> That's right. You want to talk a bit about cast? Let's do it. Yeah, tell me about some of these fools. So, uh, Burt Lancaster, a lot of people don't know this... Uh, unless they've read his Wikipedia page. And who's done that? What kind uh, of psycho would do that? Was a dirty ultra, Ulster Protestant. No way. Is he actually... No, he's from New York. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, his his first generation dirty Ulster black Protestant. Oh. Directly... I like him a lot more now. Directly descended from planters. Respect. From Scotland. So there's Respect. a good... So he's, Scot- he's a nice Scottish boy. Yeah. Fuck that shit. Is that why he did all, like, Local Hero and things like that? Because he would have his Not respect sure. for Scotland. God, I must watch Local Hero again. That's yeah, great, that it's film. It's a solid film. He was a circus performer. Did you know this? No. Yeah, the first uh, few years uh, leading up to, actually, America's entry into World War Two, he was a circus performer. He had a duo with a little fella where he would uh, trapeze act around the place, jumping in shite. And... Um, then when it came to the war, he didn't actually serve like Ernest Borgnine. Yeah. He just jumped around for the troops over in Japan. He was just, he did, he did USO circus shows. Yes, exactly. Respect. No respect. That's the real war. He was mad into politics on an annoying level. On which sides? <laughs> oh, big, big old lefty. All sorts of causes. He, like the last time he appeared in Congress, the last of many was... He was anti the colorization of uh, films from the 1930s, which uh, Ted Turner was trying to do at the time. But every, Mm. like, to be fair, I would be the first to uh, accuse people of um, Hollywood stars, particularly of facetiousness when it comes to the the causes they align themselves with. But I mean, he was he was early on the AIDS bandwagon. He was early on climate change. Like he was a a concerned individual for sure. Um, And he gave a lot of his money away as well. Wow, he does sound like a terrible person, yeah. Um, but he was apparently very a very difficult man to deal with, which of mm. course always me. I always, whenever I hear stuff like that, I'm always taken back to the Norm Macdonald's anecdote where he wanted to work with Burt Reynolds on something. And um, 
he said to a producer, oh, maybe we could get Burt Reynolds for that role. And uh, the producer said to him, uh, no, no, you don't want to work with Burt Reynolds. And Norm's reaction was, uh, no, I, I don't want to work with you. <laughs> I definitely do want to work with Burt Reynolds. Lancaster is such a, a superstar name, much like John Wayne. I've probably heard his name more than I've seen his movies, like Marilyn Monroe or any of those. But whenever I have watched Lancaster in something, I've found him fantastic. We haven't seen any Burt Lancaster films so far for the podcast, have I don't we? believe so, no. I don't think I've seen many in general. You tried to... you. I think you put the train up for a toss or yes, something. Yes, I did. Yeah, yeah. The John Frankenheimer movie. He's in Judgment in Nuremberg. The only thing I can remember for sure seeing Burt Lancaster in is, by, by my estimation, a five-star masterpiece, uh, The Sweet Smell of Success with Tony Curtis. Oh, yeah. And Tony Curtis is uh, like, uh, because Lancaster was known as like a bad boy thug for his early roles. Tony, Tony Curtis... Um, was basically saying, yeah, he was a bad boy thug type with the soul of an angel or whatever. But yeah, apparently he was quite a difficult man to deal with. Like the ladies, got around okay. a bit with the ladies. He was in Field of Dreams. That was his it's last role, like that's correct, yeah. yeah. Next up, unless you got something to say. No, about no, no, I, let's leave, let this So we got uh, Susan Sarandon, also a big old politicker. Did you know this? Yeah, I remember her and uh, Tim Robbins doing a ton of stuff. Yeah, that's together. right. And a bisexual horn dog, apparently. Even though I think I have a feeling it was like she announced she was bisexual, like in the last ten years or something, which stinks to me of just you know, just being a Hollywood dildo getting onto causes. Quite frankly, David Bowie did that once, and he said he later said he regretted. It. He said he was bisexual. Well, that. I think yeah, it sounds your your cynicism is disgusting to me. <laughs> But Bowie said, like, he was, he really regrets having said that because he just said it wasn't true. He just said it uh, for his image. Speaking of Bowie, apparently Susan Sarandon jumped his bones mm-hmm. and those of Sean Penn and those of Louis Mal. But the nail was, uh, the final nail was set into her reputational coffin in a rather um, G.I. Jane, or what do they call it? G.I., you know, that lady who played Barbarella. No. Jane Fonda, yeah, G.I. Jane, Jane Fonda. Yeah, no, no, Hanoi Jane. Hanoi, Hanoi Jane, that's right. Um, when she tweeted a photo of a police funeral and said it was an example of fascism in America about two years ago, nice. uh, which was not good. Then we got Michael Piccoli, plays Joseph, who's the pervy guy trying to teach Susan Sarandon blackjack. Oh, yeah, Michel Piccoli. Piccoli. Yeah, I yeah. think he's a Frenchman, no? Yeah, yeah, he's worked with uh, Buñuel, Goddard, and Hitchcock on one movie. Turns out, and this is a pattern in the cast of this film so far, he was only a damn dirty communist as well. So so Louis Mal is there making movies, employing communists in the height of the Cold War. Who else was uh, considered? Sarandon uh, and Lancaster. You're including Susan Sarandon as a communist. Damn dirty communist, <laughs> hell yeah. Hanoi Jane. Hanoi Susan. What about Robert Goulet? Is he a, was he a communist? Robert Goulet. <laughs> Robert Goulet, who plays himself in this film, and it, it the, from the moment he appeared on screen, I was like, the fuck is that guy? And it took finally running into his Wikipedia profile to realize, oh my God, he's Jane's rival love interest from Naked Gun Part oh, is that Two you know? and a Half, The Smell of Fear. I only know Robert Goulet from the episode of The Simpsons where uh, Bart opens like the treehouse casino thing and he's like, we got Robert Goulet. And he does the, like, jingle bells, Batman smells, Robin laid an egg. It's classic. 
And the rest is history. Yeah. No, he's um, Priscilla Presley's. Mm. God, I can't believe Priscilla Presley was like a was Jane lady. from the Naked Gun. It's all, mental. All those movies, I watched them all during uh, lockdown. Um, back in the back in the days, two years ago now, they're all still fantastic. Mm. They're they're well made. Oh, they're but it's so funny. There's and you know who's an amazing comic actor? OJ. OJ is yeah. so funny in those movies. Yeah, that's like, not a surprise. I am very able to separate the art from the artist when it comes to OJ Simpson because he's so fucking funny in those movies. Ah, anyway, he was great at everything. Kind of, yeah, yeah. Anyth- even- anything he put his mind to, he could achieve. <laughs> uh, okay, we got a uh, Robert Joy as Dave, um, who married a lady, but was uh, then gay later in life, really? which is always a nice story to hear. I feel. I mean, I feel bad for the lady in the story, but, uh, you know, uh, like, better than doing something crazy, like being a a deeply closeted gay guy. Right, Andy? He didn't, uh, yeah, thank you. He didn't um, really go on to do much. Right? I don't really know. Well, he was known as the pathologist in uh, CSI New York, apparently, but I I haven't watched that, so I don't really know. Do you know what else? He's really good as Dave, though. You know what he was in most recently? Our favorite film, Don't Look Up. Was he? Yeah, he played Congressman Tennant. Fair enough. Good, good for him. He's still alive. He's seventy-one. Doesn't look great, but he didn't look great in Atlantic City either. No, he had a face where I was like, uh, I don't know. I feel like a, I think both of these films had actors in them where I was like, really? Are you? Are you in films? Al Waxman, last one here. Okay, who's the poker party uh, runner? Oh yeah. He didn't really do much. There's a statue of There's a statue I see of him for being nice. Kensington Market. Where the hell is this? Is this in Canada? It's as well? in Canada. There's a statue of him Toronto for basically just being a nice fella. It's pretty cool. Well, he was a ni- he was a nice guy. He when they handed cocaine to him, he gave them money. Yeah, yeah. That's the idea. He died in 2001, 65 years old. Died anyway, of being, died of being nice. Thank you very much for Atlantic City. Guys, even if you've listened to this the entire way through and haven't watched it, I'd still hardly recommend watching it. It's really good. Yeah, it's a solid film. Uh, I think it's impressive. Just like I said, captured a place in time. It makes me want to watch more Louis Mal films. What? Which other one did you watch? You watched something to the gallows? So I, Elevator to the Gallows is brilliant. Yeah, I really, really do recommend giving that a go. It's great. Uh, the only, uh, well, I've seen two other ones, um, Zazie Don Le Metro, which is, let's say, Richard Ayawadi says it's like his favorite film, which should tell you enough. It, like, it's very, very good. It's quite quirky, but it's very well put together. It's like a live action cartoon. And, you know, you can definitely see where it's got the same DNA as the Mighty Boosh. That's why I've okay. got the reluctant voice, because I know you don't like the Mighty Boosh. But yes. I like it's it's a it's a fun movie to watch. And uh, the other one is uh, we, one which I learned about from Community, which was uh, my dinner with Andre. My dinner with Andre, yeah. I would have rather have watched that to just leading into one from the heart here, because that was your original pairing, no? That's you right. Yeah, yeah, my, yeah. My dinner but with Andre. I got, but yeah, because the thing is, I'd seen my dinner with Andre already, and I, well, the I'd always wanted to see much. one from the heart. Uh, How do you feel now, having seen one from the heart? Will you repent? I really liked it. Well, you obviously didn't. I think you are mentally ill. Because <laughs> this... That I'm gonna, bad, huh? I'm going to have to agree with uh, critics and audiences at the time. 
I think this is a big steaming pile of shite. <laughs> and it might look, it might look if you put all neon and plastic on top of a turd. I don't care. <laughs> I, this pained me. This was one of this was a painful wow, experience. I really enjoyed it. I think the lead. Not even making an effort. Frederick Forrest and Terry Gar are horribly miscast. The other two main characters, the actors uh, Raul Julia and Natasha Kinski, are fine. I think they're absolutely fine. I just think it's such a boring story. I think it's aged horribly. I think it's, you know, making a film like this entirely in studio on sets is interesting. That's fine. So from a technical perspective, that's okay. But the story is such a fucking nothing burger that it's not a surprise to me. I think that that is kind of the point of the story. I know. Well, I'm going to go back to that like adaptation thing that that quote of like, you take two hours of my fucking time, you better tell me a story worthwhile. Yeah, but. Bear with me on this. Like, the fact that they're normal people is the point of making a big extravagant musical around them and it being such a lame-ass sort of fight. I just think those two shouldn't have been the two. Nothing against Frederick Forrest. I I like him as chef in uh, Apocalypse Now. Terry Garb has gone on to do a bunch of good things, but just the two of them together, I don't know. It It just feels so off, this film. Ah. And I feel like audiences at the time obviously had the same feeling. Yeah, they yeah, totally. Like, what it, it, the this fuck is, is this ended Coppola's career. It cost twenty six million. It grossed just over half a million dollars. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it like his studio went bankrupt. This is the only film he ever made. It is uh, Zotropy. Uh, Zeotrope. Is that uh, how you pronounce yeah, it? Yeah, that's how that's pronounced. Zeotrope's like the little thing that goes round, and you can see the horse's feet leaving the all four of the feet leave the ground. Ah. So it's like a little kind of visual thing. Yeah, so he like closed his studios after this. He went bankrupt and that affected the rest of his career. Yeah, that's right. Because all of his choices after this point were basically like, ah, I need to make back all that money I lost. I liked this movie. Well, I had a really it. good time with it. Tell me tell me why. So I, I liked the, the visuals from moment one, to be fair. I'm always guilty of enjoying the idea of a movie being made. So just watching this and already knowing all the lore behind it for years, I've known the the story behind this film and finally seeing it and going, even in the opening credits, you're just like, you mad bastard. What were you thinking? The opening credits In the 1980s, you made this. It's nuts that he made this. The first few minutes are just, it's going through, it's like credits on top of neon and it's just introducing But it's all miniatures, swerving. It's very annoying. I didn't enjoy it at no, all. No, see, I didn't. Well, fair enough. I, like, I I don't know, the effect. Even, even the credits, I felt like you're wasting my time here, Coppola. Oh, wow. I know I'm not alone on this I end. Demand the, more. I know I'm not alone on this end of the spectrum, by the way. Like, this film has re- received a lot of um, post-thumbness love, let's say. But yeah, I ju- like I immediately liked the fake setting, uh, which it was trying to charm me with. I liked the idea that okay, so normally the the sort of films that he's pastiching, those soundstage musicals, are normally in very idyllic settings. This is in Las Vegas. These two are kind of losers who we shouldn't be that interested in. And to be fair. I'm more invested in her love story with the Latin guy and his with the circus performer than I am with them with each other. Yeah, because they're both much better partners. Yeah. They should not be together. 
But then, at the same time, who's I like banging that, I like Terry that, But I like that as a story angle. I like the fact that they're two normies and their fantasy partners are just bullshit. I guess. I could buy it if I liked them better as actors. Yeah. I think they're fine. I, I like them in other things. I just don't think they should be leads. The only time when the fake scenery bothered me rather than charmed me, because it charmed me all the rest of the time, is in that scene where, which is also a troubling scene in the movie to say the least, that bit where it all goes weirdly slapstick, where he's trying to find his way into their motel room and he climbs up on top of the motel. Oh, yeah, yeah, and he goes, yeah, that was annoying. Um, He did the little, yeah, like it's slapstick comedy and then, well, that, yeah, well, the troubling element is when he goes in and picks up Franny, topless Franny, and whacks her over his shoulder and is like, I'm taking you out of here. And she's like, I don't want to go. And he's like, well, you know, you're my property and all that. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Get you out of here. Yeah, it's a fairly nuts move that. I wouldn't say I'll... No, do you know what? I would... For anybody who's interested in cinema, I would recommend watching this, to be honest. But only in... You have to understand the context of it. You see, this this is what I'm saying, what I'm always in danger of. I'm always in danger of succumbing to my interest in film history. I can see you succumbing. Hey, stop that. To your interest in film history. But do you know what I mean? Yeah, you're 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 like it's about the story. But is this featured in um, Easy Riders Raging Bulls? Because it it's must mentioned be at like, the end. It's one of the. It's di- got to be one of the like, and then and we had it. It was so good, and then we fucked it all. Yeah, up. yeah. It's one of the death knells in old Hollywood. It was like the end of this auteur period because they were like, well, obviously we can't trust anyone anymore. Because exactly. This is what happens. Exactly. Um, and this is what happens. A fucking huge, huge failure. Financially, at least, whatever you think of the film, it lost so much money yeah. that it fucked up a studio. I mean, this is bad news. It's bad news bears. I would say this reminds me of, did you ever watch the Michael Jackson thing from the mid 80s? No, but I've heard of it. Moon something, isn't it? Moonwalker. Uh, it has exactly the same vibe, some of the same sort of studio shots. Uh, this just feels. This film feels like someone sprinkled cocaine on the top of it. <laughs> this, like, apparently, um, apparently, Francis Ford Coppola was he spent most of the time uh, of of filming inside his mobile HQ called the Silverfish, and which had a, a kitchenette, espresso machine, and onboard jacuzzi. And Coppola would issue his directions via loudspeaker. So, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's obviously, that's, this is the thing I would say, like he spent years, three years making his previous film. Maybe how long did that take? Apocalypse Now. Yeah. Apocalypse Now. How long was that? Because oh, he like filming was from, long. from conception to production start. You're talking about four years. And I think there's, there's, uh, there's quite a lot about him Going mad. Yeah, yeah. Basically. Like, shooting that was, shooting was about a year and a half, and the editing period might have been a, a, about that too. Yeah, it was a long period. Mm. And then, so this that film broke him, basically. And then he came back and was like, I'm going to make a, a wild fucking cocaine-fueled dance party thing set in Vegas, but it's going to be all made and sets in my studio I'm going to sit in my little hot tub and I'm going to like shout through a loudspeaker and tell people what to do. It's kind of fair enough. But at the end of that, you kind of have to expect that like, well, that's going to be the end of your studio. Yeah. You're having too much fun here, Francis. 
definitely having too much fun. There's um, it it puts me in mind of like a few years ago when af- in the immediate aftermath of a famous bastard. That's what he got me to for um, Josh Whedon. After his, uh, Avengers Assembly, he made um, Much Ado About Nothing, filmed it around his house. Mm. So if you're going to do your I'm a big wig vanity project, at least I suppose have the good graces to just do it around your house is what I'm saying. <laughs> Poor old Francis Coppola. What, do a rundown through his films there, see how many I've seen. His early filmography is full of stuff that I've never watched. I feel like pre-Godfather, I haven't seen anything of his. I consider everything pre-Godfather to be like, yeah, he was just warming up. I think I've seen one of his pre-Godfather movies. Pre-Godfather's Dementia 13, You're a Big Boy Now, Finian's Rainbow, and The Rain People. So there's four films before The Godfather. I've seen You're a Big Boy Now. It's good. Uh, I've heard um, The Rain People is very good. Then we've got The Godfathers, The Conversation, Apocalypse Now. One um, from the heart. <laughs> one from the heart. Rumblefish and The Outsiders yep. should be around there too. Yep. Uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Is a long way down because you've still got Cotton Club. Oh, Peggy yes. Peggy Sue Got Married. Gardens of Stone, whatever the hell that is. Tucker, The Man in His Dream, a classic. Godfather Part 3, we don't talk about that. Bram Stoker. Jack. Who oh, could forget? Yeah, who could forget Jack. old Simple Jack? <laughs> Uh, the Rainmaker, which we I've mentioned before, that's the uh, Grisham novel starring Matt Damon. Mm. I quite like that. Youth Without Youth, Tetro that you've mentioned before, Twixt, and the Val Kilmer there's horror. a TBA Megalopolis. Megalopolis. Yeah, have you not heard about Megalopolis? Yeah, I think you might have mentioned it, but I don't remember why it was. Yeah, so it's got Aubrey Plaza, it's got I mean, Adam this Driver. Is, yeah, yeah, it's got quite a cast. He's been trying to make it for years. Basically, I don't know, he's quite an old man these days. He's flaked like I'll, most, it's mostly funded by him, this film. Principal photography began on November the 1st this year. Yeah. That's a big production e- is due to finish in March 2020. It's a big epic, uh, so basically supposed to be sort of Roman politics in a modern cityscape, something like oh, that. I'm concerned. Yeah, he's going to lose a lot of money. In New York, a woman is divided between loyalties to her father, who has a classical view of society, and her lover, who is more progressive and ready for the future. And no one want to see that shit. That is a fucking one from the heart that. style premise. Yeah, yeah. like I want to see that, but... Uh, That's brutal. I, I, like, apparently he's, uh, he's put about 40 million of his own money into it. Here, uh, according to uh, some article from Sight and Sound in 2012, here are Francis Ford Coppola's 10 favorite films. Okay. You Don't Mess with the Zohan. Nice. I like it. Okay, it's not really. The Apartment, Ashes and Diamonds, The Bad Sleep Well. It's a Japanese film from the 60s. Curacao, yeah. Uh, The Best Years of Our Lives, E. Vitelloni, The King of Comedy, Raging Bull, Singing in the Rain, Sunrise from 1927, the F.W. Murnau film, and Yojimbo. Yo, Jimbo. How many have you seen? The Scorsese's Yes. I've seen four. And Yojimbo. Maybe I saw Singing in the Singing in the Rain when I was a kid. I don't remember. I still haven't seen The Apartment. Me neither. The others I'm not familiar with at all. I know of all of them, but uh, yeah, I've only seen four of those. I'd like to see all of them, though, Francis, if you're listening. Yeah, he is. And I have seen Don't Mess With The Zohan. Yeah, I've seen Don't Mess With The Zohan twice. 
How haven't I not watched The Apartment once? I've seen that twice. <laughs> yeah, well, I, mean, I love Don't Mess With The Zohan. I'm unabashed about that. I think that's a great comedy film. Actually, I think one of the actresses from this, yeah, uh, yeah, one cast member from uh, One From The Heart is in You Don't Mess With The Zohan. It's not the kid's mother, is it? It's uh, Lainey Kazan who plays Maggie in One From The Heart. She's in Don't Mess With The Zohan. I don't know what character she plays. But Fair anyway. play. Let me go through a very, very short plot synopsis for this. Pretty short, yeah. Because this is like about Nothing four sentences. The story begins on the evening of the Independence Day in Las Vegas. The story begins on the evening of the Independence the Day. The Independence Day. The Independence Day in Las Vegas, okay. Hank, a mechanic, and Franny, a travel agent. She's a travel agent? Oh, is that why she got the? She was able to get the uh, deal on the thing, on the trip to Bora Bora? Yeah, you see her in her travel agency. Do we? I think is you might have been masturbating in the shower while yeah, this was on. I, I wish. That would have been way better. Franny, a travel agent, agent, break up while celebrating their fifth anniversary. He has been insensitive to her yearning for adventure and excitement. They both overreach with gifts, I might say. I thought they were both decent gifts. Because yes, later on, Maggie's saying, like, says to, to Hank, like, you know, take her out and spend some money on her. I was like, he, pay, he bought, a, her, bought a share in the house. But he spent her savings, too, so? without consulting. It was, a, it was a wise financial choice. You want Hank's side in this? It's assets, yeah. I'm against both of them, but I think what Hank did is more fucked up. Mm, I'm against her Bora Bora Who's going to Bora Bora? Anyway. You can't be just... They both spend a night with their idealized partners. Hank goes with Layla, a circus performer, who's way hotter than his girlfriend. And Franny goes with Ray, a waiter who passes himself off as a cocktail pianist. You strike me as more of a Ray fan. Yeah, well, he's, again, like... Both of those two characters are way better than each of the leads. Yeah, I would like to see like uh, Ray and Ray uh, and Layla should go and hang <laughs> out together. That would be that would be a more interesting film for me. Give me Raul Julia and Natasha Kinski together as a couple. She's German, is she? She is. She is German. <laughs> Where are we? After their mutual nights away from each other, Hank breaks down. Tracks Franny to the motel room she and Ray are in and abducts Franny. Franny refuses to stay with Hank. This is the, this, I mean, there's not much plot, but this synopsis is horrible. But yes, that is factually accurate. Mm -hmm. That's what happens. That's what happens. Goes and like abducts a semi-nude Franny. Hank follows Franny to the airport where Franny is about to leave for her dream trip to Bora Bora. Hank sings to Franny to prove he is willing to be more romantic. But Franny boards the plane. Hank, distraught, goes home and is about to burn Franny's clothes when Franny returns. I can't keep saying the word, the name Franny. When Franny returns, realizing she, in in quotes, made a mistake. So that's it. They yeah. This couple who've been together for years have a bit of a shit time. And then they decide, they break up. And then the next day, it's it's like a day has passed. And they're both banging other people. What a great time in Vegas where he's just... Like, uh, Hank is just out and about walking through Vegas and he sees like a young lady and they make eye contact. The hottest lady in Vegas. Yeah. And they're sleeping together in within like 12 hours or something. And it looks pretty nice. I mean, yeah. I wasn't much for that uh, Ray fella. Well, you know. But Layla was nice. She is great. She's a uh, Natasha Kinski. She's great. She's, She's very much a manic pixie dream girl. Absolutely. 
But that might have been too... Do you think that was too much for him? Do you think he was like, I can't handle that? All She's I, a circus performer. That All I know is, from the moment I first saw Zoe Deschanel in a movie, I was like, that's, what, that's the kind of lady I need. She does have Natalie Portman hair in this. Yes. Which, you know, that... that. And she looks like Isabella Rossellini in uh, mm. Blue Velvet a bit. Yes, that is true as well. So that's it. That's the end of... That is the plot. That's what happens. They have... They go out and meet other partners, and then for some reason, they decide that they should stay together in misery. <laughs> it's clearly... It'll never last. It'll never work. Yeah. I'm not saying she should go off... Like, she should go off with, like, Raul Julia's lying waiter... And nor should he go off with a circus performer. But that doesn't mean that they have to stay together in in horrible misery. So this really bummed you out, this movie. I just think... Did it go slow for you? Yes, I just found it boring. I just don't care about the story. Looking through a lot of the criticism, I feel like that was quite a lot of the criticism at the time was like, I don't care about the characters. That was the biggest problem for me. I found... I mean, okay, some of the dialogue has aged poorly since the early 80s. That's not surprising, mm. but like, I don't know. I just don't care about these characters whatsoever. Yeah. Okay. Technically the, some of the like technical aspects are impressive, but you need to give me the story first of all. And the other thing I'll say is this, nothing against Tom Waits. I got nothing against him, oh. but I don't want to hear a man like Tom Waits crooning over the top of a film going like, and then she's got to go to the airport because she's going to Bora Bora. It's not for me. But do you like Tom Waits at all? Yeah, but this reminded me, I don't know if you ever saw, but Adam Buxton did a a video of like uh, making fun of Tom Waits, but going like Tom Waits' rejected score for um, Iron Man 2. And he goes like, Iron Man 2, (laughs) Iron Man 2. Mickey Rourke has got his electric whips. (laughs) And that's what this reminded me of. Fair. But I mean, he would he wouldn't have been on coke. He would have just been convinced He's by straight edge. He is kind of straight edge. He's having a, a gay old time of his own. Indeed. All right. Well, look, I had a good time. I'm sorry you had a bad time, but I hope what, you're what happy did you I had a good time. what? Tell me again what you really liked about it. Um, I like the I colors. Like, the colors were very nice. I like things that lean into artificiality, mm. like a film that. It was unanimously hated across the world is one that I quite like and I'm feeling they're related in a way. You know Frank Miller's directorial effort, The Spirit? Oh. With Samuel L. Jackson? I vaguely... And some guy, Rosaria Dawson might have been in it too. Is this pre-Sin City? No, I I think this film came out after Sin City. I don't remember that. I mean, I remember the name, 2008 Neo-Noir. Oh, I, yeah, I never watched it. So it li- I could well be wrong. But I remember when I watched it, I quite enjoyed how much it leaned into the artificiality of, of... Wow, it's very, very poorly rated. Oh, yeah, people hated this film. And I saw it on a preview because I was working in a cinema at the time. <laughs> so my opinions were completely untarnished by the media. I was just like, yeah, I thought it was pretty fun. So I liked the leaning into the artificiality of it, I suppose. And I liked that in One from the Heart as well. I also liked in One from the Heart that it was just a musical about normal bums. It was like a fantastical version of Las Vegas that whereas at the same time it felt a little bit like Las Vegas because everyone was just a fucking bit of a loser 
So you 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 kind of you kind of felt seen. You felt like this. Yeah, it represented yeah, exactly. your experience my peeps. in Vegas. Yeah, I suppose that's all I would have to say for it. I the Tom Waits mu- music uh, did not bother me. It didn't enrich the experience either. I'll say that. But yeah, I'm glad to have seen it. This part in film history, and uh, yeah, I think more films should have no soundtrack. I think it'd be interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying every film should do it, but I, I would be on board with more films going like, yeah, we're not gonna have a soundtrack, or like. You know what's a version of soundtracking I really like? You know, like the only shit they have in the French Connection, which is just like yeah. a slight horn blow and the scene begins doom, and that's it. Doom, 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 doom. All right. Okay, let me tell you about the cast. Do. Well, first up is old uh, Freddie Forrest as Hank. He's a frequent Coppola collaborator. He appeared as Mark in the conversation. Who's Mark. The guy oh, who's yeah. getting all conversated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy yeah. who was re- getting recorded at the start. I remember expressing the exact same sort of surprise when we talked about this before. <laughs> and went, oh, it's Chef <laughs> from Apocalypse Now. That's right. That's his other big thing, Chef yeah. from Apocalypse Now. But he was Oscar nominated as well for his role in The Rose in 1979. Don't know that film. It's a drama based on the life of Janis Joplin, but they had to change the name of the character because her family was like, we don't like this. Fair enough. In the film, she's played by Bette Midler, I think. Janis Joplin played by Bette Midler. I, that's it, from a from a modern perspective, it's hard to envision. Yes, agreed. But in 1979, who knows? Maybe that was easier to pull off. Terry Gar as Franny. Her first speaking role in a motion picture was a brief appearance as a damsel in distress in the Monkey's film Head in 1968, written by Dur- Jack Nicholson. And directed by someone Bob interesting. Bob Raffleson, I That's think? right, yeah. yeah, yeah. His, uh, uh, Jack Nicholson's colleague. Gar got the role after meeting Nicholson in an acting class. Nice. She also appeared Definitely in the conversation. Definitely had sex with him too. Oh yeah, I, would, that was, I imagined that too earlier. She also appeared in the conversation. Was she the other one being conversated? No, I think she ends up in a bed with Gene Hackman. Hackman. Yeah. Is it is that her? Yes. She's like the girlfriend. That's my abiding memory of the conversation. Yeah. It's him in that horrible see through jacket being a sex object. Oh, it's awful. And he pays her rent and she's like, Hey, you come here and have sex with me. Well, I'm not gonna do it anymore. That's what Terry Gar was up to. She went on to gain a Best Supporting Actress nomination for Tootsie in 1983. I really must rewatch Tootsie. I think yeah, I think I saw it a long time ago as well. It's very highly acclaimed, generally. Unfortunately, she had to retire from acting in the 2000s after being diagnosed with MS. Oh, no. Sad news. But she has been hailed a comedic legend. In 1982, film critic Pauline Kael called her the funniest neurotic ditzy dame on the screen. What else has she been in? I guess it was like Tootsie. It can't have been this. <laughs> no, it can't. I imagine Pauline Kael had no time for this. No. What else has she been in? Have you looked at her filmography? I didn't much recognize her from anything, but... That's the thing. I I mean, Freddie For- oh, Frederick Forrest, I know his chef, and that's sort of... The, what, what kept me focused on Freddie Forrest was me going, I know that's not Michael Rooker, <laughs> but it almost is. Terry Gar's other film... Oh, she was in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. She's ah, um, yes, 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 yes. Thingy's husband. Her wife, wife Richard Dreyfuss's wife. <laughs> well, who knows? Who who knows who's who? Yeah, Hollywood. Anymore. You know the yeah, kind of thing they'd know, be up to. You know. Next up, Raúl Julia is Ray, born in San Juan, Puerto Rico, in 1940. He was scouted by Orson Bean 
Are you familiar with Orson no, Bean? No, I'm not. I'm not you no. will know Orson Bean. He's Dr. Lester from Being John Malkovich. Okay. The right. old man. Yeah, yeah, the old guy. He was on holiday and, and I think went to like some theater things and saw this young guy and was like, hey, you need to come to New York. We'll have a fun time. Was Orson Bean a gay guy? <laughs> I don't know. They was just on holiday in Puerto Rico. Because I imagine gay guys in Puerto Rico in the 70s were predatory. This was maybe even the 60s, I think. So. Oh, just straight up predators. So uh, Raul Julia moved to New York. He took acting classes alongside his classmate, Christopher Walken. Should we do the, do you want to try an impression? <laughs> I'm Christopher Walken. <laughs> that's about it. That's about it. He took acting classes. That's my Christopher Walken uh, impression. Do you know why? Why? Uh, this is the second time in the episode I've mentioned Norm MacDonald, but there's an episode of the Norm MacDonald podcast where somebody brings up Christopher Walken and Norm just bursts out, almost like I just went, I'm Christopher Walken. He's just, just making fun just, of everyone's shit impression. Yes, exactly. Yeah. His guest just looks at him and he goes, I sorry, I just always presumed everyone could do an impression of him. Yeah. <laughs> That's why we had to stop for that little interlude because it's it's is the one, is the one everyone does. Raul Julia did a lot of Broadway and off Broadway before his film debut in nineteen seventy one in Panic in Needle Park. I've seen that. That's alongside a good film. Old, alongside Al old yeah, old Ali Pacino's. In preparation for his role in Harold Pinter's Betrayal, Julia moved temporarily to London, hiring a dialect coach to train him in British pronunciation. Julia would subsequently subsequently use a British or transatlantic accent for most of his film work, including Presumed Innocent, The Addams Family, and Street Fire. That's why M. Bison is all British. (laughs) <laughs> Explain <laughs> Now Raul When you were playing M. Bison Can you tell us a little about you Alright uh, Wednesday <laughs> yeah. Come in Fighting dinner's ready Solid Yeah Julia had been battling stomach cancer for three years in secret prior to his death from a stroke in 1994. A glorious battle <laughs> he, fought, he fought valiantly apparently yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he well, he he did the old uh, Chadwick route. He he kept it quiet. Nice, because I remember when but without he the died, giant franchise, <laughs> that's true. He didn't get to do Street Fighter too. Very sad, because uh, I remember when he died, and it was just reported as like a heart attack or a stroke or something. No one mentioned the cancer. Oh, this fella. Yeah, yeah. I I remember when he died. It was nineteen ninety four. Oh, this is the age difference between us again. But I was like, Ro Julia. Yeah, yeah, I do it, not remember no. him it was, dying. It was kind of shocking. I remember like, M. Bison is dead. Ireland sco- beating Italy in the opening game of the World Cup. In 1994. Was yeah. that, uh, that was old uh, Ray Houghton, no? That's correct. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I watched that. Anyway, Raul Julia, when he died, was 54 years old. His untimely demise meant his part as Bucho, uh, the antagonist in Robert Rodriguez's Desperado, had to be recast with Joaquim de Almeida. He was going to be in it. Well, De Almeida needed a gig, to be fair. Well, he stole Raul Julia's gig. That's why he gave him stomach cancer three years prior. Nice. Because he knew that there was a big role coming up. In 2017, the Daily, Ter- the Daily Telegraph, everyone's favorite news source, named Raul Julia one of the best actors never to have received an Academy Award nomination. Hmm. He did, however, receive a posthumous Golden Globe for his role in HBO miniseries The Burning, Seri- uh, the Burning Season. No idea of that. It's about chlamydia. 
And he got four Tony nominations for his stage work. Tony, 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 Tony. Or Tony, 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 depending on which reference you prefer. I was uh, taking in the Father Ted reference. <laughs> Before, what? Tell me what the other one is. Tony, I don't know. Tony, Tony. T- so I added, I added a question mark to the end of my name. So it became Tony, 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 Tony. What is that again? Pop star, never stop, uh, never right. stopping. Well, You're that, that just does it, Andy. So, well, that's why I took. That's why I put the Tony nominations I'm in, putting, so I could do both. I'm of putting this. you on my list of enemies. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Look what I Look really, what I really wrote. Uh, yeah, watch Father Ted, folks. Indeed, watch Father Ted. And also, listen to a recent episode of the uh, Adam Buxton podcast with Graham Norton. It's really funny. And Graham oh, Norton nice. is, for a super famous person and media personality, Graham Norton is still just a very, very funny fella. I suppose that's why his show, I don't yeah, watch his show he's very like likeable. But, uh, yeah, yeah, but he, he's, he's very funny in the interview. Man. Next up is Natalia. Okay, so her name, we've discussed her before because we talked about Klaus Kinski, but her name is Nastasia. I want to call her Natasha, I'd but call, it's... I'd call her Natasha. It's I'd, Nastas, I'd, Nas, Nastasia. I'll accept the ignorance. I'm okay. the ignorant one. We're calling her Natasha then for the purposes of ever mentioning her. Natasha Kinski played Layla. She's the daughter of renowned German actor Klaus Kinski, who we discussed oh, was a is bastard. Is he one of the ones that he sexualized? Is she one of the ones he sexualized, rather? She, he. It was her half-sister, I think she was called Paula? Was a one the one that he abused, but he didn't do a good job. Let's say, yeah, and also with uh, that, Natasha, uh, a autobiography of his that you slash recommended, I Klaus or something. Yeah, I read like the first hundred pages of that. It's a gross book. Yeah, he's not, and he was not a nice man. No, but I mean that is particular. Like, it's really gross. I told you uh, we you mentioned did, yeah, it at the yeah, time. Yeah, it was you all didn't, sex you, stories. You he didn't was like, disappoint. Gee, yeah. It's all. She but had like a lovely it, vagina. Yeah, like stuff about things like that. She had a great vulva and, yeah, and things yeah. like this. Yeah, that's what Klaus Kinski was doing. Anyway, uh, Klaus Kinski got divorced from Natasha's mother in 1968. After the age of 10, Natasha uh, rarely saw her father. Her young mother struggled financially to support them and they eventually lived in a commune in Munich. More communists for you. More commies. You'll be delighted to know. They would have had an oblique connection to Francis Ford Coppola because I believe Werner Herzog lived in Coppola's house when he was developing uh, Fitzcarraldo, which is something that came into being, which is like a passage in his life that came into being because Coppola was so inspired by Aguirre, the wrath of God with regards to filming Apocalypse Now and developing Apocalypse Now. He wanted that look for the jungle. So there you go. Fair play. Solid. In 1976, when Kinski was age 15, it was speculated that there had been a romantic relationship with director Roman Polanski, who at the time was 43. Polanski confirmed the relationship in a 1994 interview with Diane Sawyer. What about Natasha Kinski? She was young and we had a love affair. However, in a 1999 interview in The Guardian, Kinski was quoted as saying that there was no affair and that there was a flirtation. There could have been a seduction, but there was not. He had respect for me. I feel like I've read that quotation. This is what happens when, whenever you go to somebody's Wikipedia article, you go straight to personal life. What dirty sex stuff did they do? Kinski definitely had a bad, bad time early on in films. She appeared topless uh, frequently under 18 and then said later on that she felt like she'd been exploited. And Probably. Uh, she'd had a, she had definitely had like a terrible time of it. 
Because even by like the eighties, it seemed like her she looked like she was behaving a little erratically, let's say, hmm. from time to time. So yeah, I think she just had a fucking a tough time of it. Did she have a later career at all? Yeah, she's uh she's not doing so much these days. But she went, I mean, in the same year she was in Cat People in 1982, mm. she went on to do, she was in Revolution, I think, with Al Pacino in mid-80s. She was in Paris, Texas, of course. Uh, she did a really weird film called Harem, in which she plays a young woman who is abducted by an Arab sheikh, played by Ben Kingsley. Hell yeah, Ben Kingsley. <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, what else was she? And she was in Hotel New Hampshire, the John Irving adaptation. She was Never in Tess, the Tess of the Durbervilles film directed by uh, Roman Polanski. I've seen that. She was in uh, one of the greatest films of all time, Terminal Velocity with Charlie Terminal Sheen. Velocity, I've seen that. <laughs> yeah, that's a classic. Her, her it's, most- it's a very Alan Partridge <laughs> name, isn't it? Terminal Velocity. Colossal her, Velocity. One of her most recent films was uh, David Lynch's Inland Empire in 2006. Oh, I, I consider that film unwatchable. I will not be trying to watch it. But anyway, uh, definitely, without question, Paris, Texas is... Mm. Uh, the best received film she was in. All time classic. It's a great film. I have not I, seen I've it. watched it a few times. It's very, very good. Next up is Lainey Kazan, who played Maggie, as you mentioned before, was in Don't Mess with the Zohan. She studied at Hofstra University, where she appeared in school musicals written and directed by her classmate, Francis Ford Coppola. Nice. As well as with actor James Caan. Hell yeah. Hmm. Did you notice she's got gigantic uh, bedungas? Well, it's funny you mentioned that because Kazan posed nude for the October 1970 issue of Playboy, which was reused in Pocket Playboy number four issued in 1974. <laughs> <laughs> so that's extreme. Her appearance in the magazine. That is some knowledge right there. Her appearance in the magazine opened the door for her to headline and operate two different Playboy jazz clubs. Overseen by Hugh Hefner, the clubs were named Laney's Room West and Laney's Room East each on opposite coasts, with the first one located in L.A., the other Manhattan. Her Playboy photographs inspired the look of Jack Kirby's superheroine Big Barda. So there you go. She did have large bosoms. I can attest to that. Have you ever does. read Still any alive. of the post-Thomas testimony of... Um, post-Thomas, I suppose. No, it, We're saying posthumous. Is that the word? Posthumous. Yeah, yeah. God, I've been pronouncing that wrong for years. <laughs> but um, no, uh, the testimonies from the playmates from like, let's say the last decade or so of Hef's life about what it was like to live with him. No, I, I imagine it, it was bad. Yeah. Like it's it's gross in a in the way that when you just gave yourself two seconds thinking time there, you went, oh yeah, I suppose that's probably gross. Anybody thinking about the whole Playboy situation for longer than two seconds, probably even going back to the 1990s, would have gone, oh yeah, I'd imagine it's actually a, a disgusting place and not glamorous at all. These ladies just describing like him basically dead, but with a fucking throbbing erection, <laughs> just, and the, like young ladies being forced to ride him, but they were all included in his will in a weird way. They were like, oh, it's just. I warn people, <clears throat> I feel like ladies were getting like STIs from, he had like a little waterfall thing in swimming pool. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And you were, they were getting like chlamydia and stuff from the swimming pool, which is horrendous. A gross old man. Yeah. 
Anyway, uh, speaking of gross old men, the last cast member to mention is our good friend Harry Dean Stanton, who played Mo. What a man. He was f- around 55 during filming. It, I mean, come on. He looks like a Muppet as well. There's no need for him to be in this, except that he's mates with everyone. Um, he's hilariously I, 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 too old. I enjoyed him in it. But one, th- one thing that made me go, huh? Is um, it's only in the conversation with Harry Dean Stanton that you, you realize... So Hank's just riding everything around him. No? Why? What does he... Well, because he said like, hey, you shagged my girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also... Is, is that supposed to have happened during the period when he's been dating um the other... He's been dating Franny. Franny, yeah, 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 for sure. It was a different time. It's Vegas. It's Vegas, baby. What happens anyway, in Vegas? Anyway, yeah. Him and Kinski would have uh, met again on the set of Paris, Texas. Nice. Uh, Harry Dean Stanton at the time of filming was dating Rebecca de Mornay, who's in the film as well. I think you see her. I, I think you see her. Um, I think she might be one of the patrons at the cafe when Raul Julia's arguing with his boss. Which is a scene I enjoyed. But then, uh, yes, but so Harry Dean Stanton around 55, Rebecca de Mornay was like 22. Cash back. Nice. And that's it. That's the end of the cast. That's everyone of note who appeared in One from the Heart, a film that I did not enjoy and will never watch again. And I did enjoy, uh, but I still I won't watch it again. It is. It, I'll say one thing for it. It's not that long. No, no, it's quite short. It's quite the. It's the best thing I can say about it. It wasn't too painful. All right. What it's do you toss got, time, fucker. For next time round, I've chosen a film from uh, Federico Fellini. It's a film I've never seen before. Actually, I don't think I've seen any of Fellini's films. This one, I believe the title comes from the local dialect about Rimini, from Rimini, rather, uh, where I was recently. And, uh, and that is Amarcord. Which means I remember. Yeah, that's, that, makes, that makes sense. So okay. I chose Amarcord. Amarcord. Well, I also have gone straight for a classic that I have never seen. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Um, in a career with... At least two other magnum opuses that I can think of. Uh, this might be his major magnum opus, Robert Altman's film Nashville. I have seen Nashville, but it was in the 90s, I would say, in the period where I watched a bunch of VHSs of everything. So Nashville Sweet. is. I've got a coin. What do you got? It's got two sides. It's 50 or some other shit. It looks like it's a horse. It's hard to see. It's 50 or not 50. Not 50? It's 50. Oh, no. You lose. Well. All right, what could I have won? I've seen a few R. Robert Altman films, but I wanted to choose one of his more celebrated ones, and that was McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Oh, I knew you were going to go for that. Yeah, because I haven't seen it. Oh, do yourself a favor. Put that for a toss in the next few weeks. We'll fix the toss. That's so good. No. Sorry, it's done. Okay, well, I'm going to double down on Fellini, seeing as you said you've never seen any of his, and uh, I'll give you a choice. I'll give you a guaranteed my favourite Fellini, or Fellini I've never seen, but it's supposed to be excellent. What, what are their names? Okay. Or do I get to hear the names? Or if you want. Uh, no, I'll take the, take the one that's supposed to be excellent, and maybe I'll, 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 just, maybe I'll watch all three. Okay, well, my favourite that I've seen is La Strada. Mm-hmm. I've never gotten around to watching La Dolce Vita. Yeah, let's go for that. Okay. La Dolce Vita. Well, I do it. An Amarcord. Is the, yeah, okay. No, this is, yeah, fuck it. Yeah, yeah, we'll do that. Okay, cool. 
Uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Anything I've seen by Fellini, because I have seen Amarcord before. Mm-hmm. God damn, that film gave me boners as a teenager. I mean, this is a fine way to end the episode, but that was one of my... Do you know what? We've talked about it before, but that old thing of back in the day, watching European films for the horniness <laughs> and discovering cinema along the way. Amarcord yeah. was a big one for me like that. I discovered Mark Cousins along the way. Like I was just, I, I was watching it for just nudie Italian ladies and uh, at the same time just getting intensely engrossed in the story and thinking it brilliant. It, it, it we, we were treated to quite a lot of nudity this, this week. Both films had nudity. Yes. Breastuses. I'd say the winner of uh, the breasticles for the week would be uh, Susan Sarandon. <laughs> well, that's the thing. There was more in One from the Heart, but Susan Sarandon took Best the quality breasticles. award. Yeah, yeah. If we were handing out uh, Academy <laughs> Awards, and now I don't think that it would be, I don't know, maybe, it, I don't know how easy it would be to get sponsorship for this award ceremony, but. Susan Sarandon, well played. But this is a perfect, like, whenever people talk about, like, whenever people are wondering, why aren't men objectified in the same way? I mean, you had someone like Burt Lancaster. If you'd have seen his penis in Atlantic City, it would have ruined the movie. <laughs> I'm sure of it. I think they needed to see Unless, it in, well, like, well, besides, well, 1957 and not in 1980. No, but I still think, like, when he gets that erection at the window, that would have been worth seeing. I would have, yeah, I would have gotten well, mine for that. I mean, there's no reason not to show it. <laughs> I don't know why they don't. Yeah. As a matter of fact, Atlantic City gets remade Prudes. today. No surrounding breasts. No. All Lancaster hard cock. That's Maybe. what I say. We'll see. <laughs> when I finally get around to doing it. All right. That's enough for us. Um, yeah. What are we watching next week? Have we figured that out I yet? Don't th- I don't think we have. I don't think anyone knows. Well, we'll figure it out in the meantime. Yeah, we'll get some I'm shit. I'm sure it'll be good. I love you. I love you too. Bye. Prepare for excitement. Tony Stark is back. But the man in the iron mask is under attack. His heart needs replacing. The army want his suit. And Mickey Rock is after him with laser whips to boot. Sam Rockwell hires Mickey Rock to build a load of robots. Mickey builds them, and there's a lot of big explosions. And some robots with pepper pots. She thinks Tony needs to get his act together. I want one. No. Iron Man 2. Iron Man 2. If excitement's what you crave, then this did I mention things get blown up and Tony makes wise cracks, but it's very, very long, so you'd better take some snacks.